add, and it's not part of my message, but, you know, all, oftentimes the jolliness that comes in our life should come from our relationship with Christ. You know, I'm, I can't say enough, and this brings tears to my eyes because it's, it's, it means a lot to me of, of what the Lord did for me. You know, he saved me from Russia, you know, and he brought me here, and he saved me, and he, he gave me an amazing, loving family I didn't have in Russia. And God knew that plan for my life the whole time. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, where does our jolliness come from? It should come from the Lord because he's so good to us and he's better than we ever deserve. And, uh, yeah, so (laughs) thank you, Pastor, again for the encouragement. We love you guys, too. It's been an incredible five years. We've learned so much. We've, We've been through so much, right? COVID and everything else in the last five years have been a lot going on. But God is always good. He's always taking care of Faith Baptist Church, hasn't he? It's so cool to see how the Lord has just incredibly used Faith Baptist Church to give to missions. Just every year it's just been increasing, increasing, and that's God, you know, because a lot of times in churches and COVID were closing their doors, but we were giving more to missions, and that's all glory and honor to God. But anyway, going into the message, um, today I'm going to be talking about real righteousness. Real righteousness. I would like to start off with this illustration. I'm going to read it just to make sure I I get the story right. It says, There were 128 runners in the field for the cross-country race at the 1993 NCAA Division II Track and Field Championship. As they set out on the 6.2-mile run, they were following a course that had been marked for them by the race officials. Toward the end of the course, one of the runners in the middle of the group realized something was wrong. Mike the Del Cavo of Western State College in Colorado saw that the main pack had missed the turn. I was waving for them to follow me and yelling, This is the right way, he told an interview after the race. Davaka was right, but only four other runners followed him. The rest continued on the shortcut, which allowed them to run a shorter distance and finish the race sooner. In a widely criticized decision, race officials allowed the abbreviated route to stand as the official course and Delvelco officially finished 123rd. The world does not always reward staying on track, literally or figuratively. But the path we follow is important to God. One day, those of us who have already trusted Christ as our for our salvation will appear before the Lord for an evaluation of our service. Our entrance to heaven is sure. That will settle when we receive Christ. But rewards, or the loss of them, for how we spend our lives are not so sure. When we stand before the Lord, no shortcuts will be recognized. And only those who have run the race by his guidebook will be honored. And that was from the scorecard in Sports Illustrated in 1993. Paul, in our passage, teaches us through his own life example that the path of self-righteousness is the wrong path. You know, as the song that Heidi just shared us about, and it talked about telling my story, and Paul oftentimes in Scripture uses his life to tell his story of what he came from. And he realized that self-righteousness was the wrong path to take, but there was a real righteousness to take that we'll talk about today too. No shortcuts again will be recognized. We need to run the race according to God's word. The race that we have run, the goal of righteousness in our life, there are no shortcuts. We have to do it God's way. 
We have to do it the right way. We have to do it according to his word, and we can't rely on ourselves to do it. We have to rely on God. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 11. I'm going to read these here, and then we'll pray right after this. So Philippians chapter Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 11. It says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I counted all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, be being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the great day you've given us, Lord. Thank you for just your word, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to, to, to just dive into it and learn about the importance, the importance of us giving up ourself, giving up our self-righteousness, Lord, the importance of us dedicating our life to you. We're so thankful for Paul's example in your word that, 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 again, was an example to our lives of how we should live. Help us to give us self. Help us to give up self, Lord, and help us to fully commit our lives to you, 100%, Lord. Again, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you just fill me with your Holy Spirit as I share your words and not my own, Lord. Thank you again for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So our first point for today is give up self-righteousness. Give up self-righteousness. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, in the first verse that we read, it says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath thereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. Paul starts this verse by saying, Hey, if there's anybody that relied on himself more than anybody else, it was me. It was me. He wasn't lifting, he's not here lifting himself up on the pedestal. He's actually doing the exact opposite. He's humbling himself and telling us, hey, I've lived in the flesh. I know what it's like. I experienced it. I experienced it. And it was the wrong way to live. It was the wrong way to live. Paul starts in verse again by saying anyone has put their confidence in the wrong place, it was him. He put his trust in the wrong place. Then he tells us how he has put his confidence in the wrong place. So we're going to look at these different things here about how he has put his confidence in the wrong place. First of all, confidence in heritage is wasted. Confidence in heritage is wasted. And this is a sub-point under give up self-righteousness. Confidence in heritage is wasted. In Philippians chapter 3, 5, it says, Circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. And these, 
in these in this these first two verses, Paul was not boasting of his accomplishments again, but or raising himself on a pedestal. Instead, again, he was using his life before he was saved as an example to us. He was living the wrong way. His focus was all wrong. Paul was a prime example of putting his confidence in the wrong place. And the wrong place Paul put his confidence was his heritage and his background. So we see he was circumcised the eighth day. This is extremely significant because being circumcised the uh, eighth day, first of all, it, it, it showed his separation that he was not a Gentile. He was a Jew. He was Jew. He, he had prime heritage. He was not a Gentile. He was a Jew. He had the tokens of God, he had the token of God's covenant in his flesh. He was circumcised the very day which God had appointed. He wasn't late a day, he was, no, he was on the very day God appointed. And this was significant because to the Jew, this meant a lot. He was serious about being a Jew. He was serious about his heritage and where he came from. He was the stock of Israel. He was the stock of Israel. He was a natural Israelite. He was a natural Israelite. He was not an Ishmaelite or an Edomite who were circumcised and from the son of a proselyte who might be circumcised on the eighth day. No, he was a genuine Israelite. He was a genuine Israelite. He was also of the tribe of Benjamin. And we know about the tribe of Benjamin, don't we? The tribe of Benjamin is extremely significant. It's the tribe the temple stood, right? It was the tribe which adhered to Judah when all the other tribes revolted. Benjamin was the father's darling. And he was the favorite tribe. Or one of the favorite tribes. This is significant, isn't he? Again, we're talking about Paul. And, and he's got a couple more things in his heritage. But we see Paul is hes a Hebrew of Hebrews, isn't he? He's a prime example of of the prime stock of Israel. You don't get any better than this. It doesn't. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews is the next part, as I just said. An Israelite on both sides. And that's what Hebrew of Hebrews means. He was an Israel on both sides because his mom and his dad were both Israelites. There was no mixing in there. He's a purebred. He's a purebred. None of his ancestors had married any Gentiles. Can I, can I put this in today's terms? When we think about this today, we're thinking about, and, and, and this is very common here. My great-grandfather was a preacher, so I'm saved. My parents go to church, so I'm saved. I've been circumcised just the rest of my family, so I'm saved. But in the Christian life, and what Paul was telling us here, is that it was a waste. His heritage, it didn't mean anything. It was all a waste. It was all done. Because the only thing that mattered was his relationship with Christ. That was the most important thing in his life. And that is the most important thing in all of our lives, is our relationship with Christ. It's not who in your family went to church. It's not who in your family used to be a preacher or a pastor. 
It's not that your parents are godly parents. What about you? What about your relationship with Christ? Is it real? Paul wanted us to know that putting your trust in your heritage was counted loss. It was counted loss. Not only is confidence in heritage wasted, confidence in devotion is wasted. Confidence in devotion is wasted. Here at the, uh, in verse 5, it talks about, as touching the law, a Pharisee. And then in verse 6, it continues to say, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So not only was he the Israel of Israel when it comes, uh, the Hebrew of Hebrews when it comes to his heritage, he was also as religious as a Hebrew gets. He's as religious as a Hebrew gets. Paul was a Pharisee. As far, as far as the Pharisee's explanation of the law went, and as to the letter of the law and outward observation of it, he kept and followed it all by the letter. The Pharisees had a stricter law to follow, again, because they were supposed to be what? The example, right? Today we see his Pharisee as somebody who's a hypocrite, right? You know, when we think of the word Pharisee, that's who, what we see today. But in the Bible times, through the Hebrews, no, this was, this was a godly, religious individual. That's who a Pharisee was. They were a preacher. They were, they were a person that exemplified Christ in every aspect of their life. He followed all the outward laws by the T. By the T. Paul could not be accused of any. He was seen as blameless when it came to the pharisaical way of living. Paul had reached the very peak of religious experience, the highest ideal that any Jew could hope to gain. Again, he reached the top of the top when it comes to religion. Paul kept all the law and the traditions perfectly, and it was all wasted. And it was all wasted. Can I share this with you today that going to church doesn't save you? Can I share with you that praying doesn't save you? Reading your Bible doesn't save you. Because guess what? Paul Paul knew the Bible, didn't he? But guess what? It meant nothing. Doing good works, it means nothing. And that's what Paul was sharing here that, you know what? I was religious. I did all the works. If you asked anybody about Paul on the streets, they'd say, man, that's a godly man. And on the outside, he looked very much so. But the inside was empty. The inside was empty. He kept all the law and the traditions perfectly and again, and it was all wasted. These things are great things to do, again, going to church, praying, reading your Bible, doing good works. They're not bad things. Those are great things to do. They are. But are you doing these things because they are good things to do? Are you doing these things because we like what people think of us when we do them? Are we doing these things because we have to? Or are we doing these things because we love Christ? 
Or are we doing these things because we want to grow in Christ? The motivation behind what we do, even as Christians, is extremely important. Because if we have the wrong motivation behind our works, God knows. And do you know what that's counted as? Dung. It's counted as worthless. You can go to church and it be counted as worthless. You can read your Bible You know, we know God's word never returns void, but at the same time, if we're doing it with the wrong motivation, maybe a checklist, it's worthless. We're not learning from God's word like we need to. We're not growing in Christ. Are we growing in righteousness if we're doing things just because we have to? No. Are we doing good works for people in the church because, again, we want a pat on the back? Because that's also counted as dung, isn't it? The works that we do, we have to do all to the glory of God. And that's what Paul understood, that that anything I do for myself is worthless. But what I do for Christ, that's what counts. Confidence in self is also wasted. Confidence in self is wasted. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, it says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. What a, what a different perspective than the world today. Because what does the world tell you? Guess what? You're the most important person, aren't you? Guess what? What you do for yourself, that's what matters. That's what the world tells us. But what Paul tells us and what God's word tells us is that's what doesn't matter. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. That's what our life should be. Our life should be about Jesus. And then verse 8 says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency, excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Paul is saying all those things that he had done were wasted. Because his motivation was self. He came from a godly, uh, a religious heritage, didn't he? You know, and I didn't mention this earlier, but even his father was a Pharisee. It just tells you his background. He was religious of religious. He was, he was the, the Hebrew of the Hebrews. And even Paul realized it was worthless because it was all done for self. All the Bible studying he did and knowing what the, the Old Testament and the God's Word said was all for himself. It was all wasted. How can someone like Paul have it so wrong? He was so religious. He was so devout. He came from such a religious family. Paul was using the wrong measuring stick in his life. He was using the wrong measuring stick. Paul was comparing himself with the standards set by man, man instead of the standards set by God. Paul followed the outside standards perfectly, but never stopped and considered the inward sins he was committing. You know, a, a, another example of this is a rich young ruler. I have followed all the commandments, right? And from the outside he did, but he was missing the sin on the inside. And Paul, again, he was measuring the standards of the way he was living the wrong way. Have you ever cooked something and put a put two cups instead of uh, two ounces or something? Didn't turn out well, did it? <laughs> and this is what Paul was doing. He was using the wrong measurement for the way he was supposed to live his life. 
But when one, but then one day, and this is so encouraging, Paul on the road of Damascus, he saw himself as compared to Christ. He found the right measurement. And he realized when he saw the wrong right measurement, what did he realize? It was done. Everything he's, he thought he was doing for the right reasons was all for the wrong reasons because he was doing it for himself. Never once did he stop and think, am I doing for this for Christ? It was about Paul. It was not about God. That was when Paul changed his life and abandoned self-righteousness and works righteousness for the right righteousness, which can only be found in Jesus Christ. So we must ask ourselves, what have we put our confidence in? Have you put your confidence in Jesus Christ and accepted him as your personal savior? If you are a Christian today, what is your motivation behind what you do? Right, because this is, yes, it's applicable for salvation, of course, but it's also applicable for us as believers because it's so easy for us to just kind of get in a routine, isn't it? To start just doing things because they're good things to do. Sometimes we just go to church because we should go to church. We start losing the focus of, I need to go to church because I want to know about more about my Savior. I want to, I want to, I want to go to church because I want to glorify God. You know, that should be our motivation in life. In order for us to gain true righteousness, we need to die to self. We need to die to self. We need to realize that all the works we do for ourselves is lost, is but dung, and our focus needs to be to win Christ, to gain true righteousness, which brings us to our second point, gain true righteousness. Gain true righteousness. In verse 9, let's read verse, in verse 9 it says, and, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the, through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul wanted to be found in Christ. He wanted to be found in Christ. Paul rested in Christ's righteousness. Here in this verse it says, and be found in him, refers to appearing before a judge. Refers to, again, appearing before a judge. We are all guilty before God. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, but there is a righteousness provided for us in Jesus Christ. And it is a complete and perfect righteousness. And we can only have that righteousness provided for us if we give up our self-righteousness and give our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So that when we go before the judge, God, and we're deemed guilty, Jesus goes, I paid for that. And shows his hands and shows his feet because he paid for our sins. We don't deserve it. But we have an incredible God that loves us, that made that sacrifice for us so that we can, again, not be deemed guilty before the judge. When Paul got saved, God declared Paul righteous based on Christ's work. Not based on Paul's work. Not based on Daniel's work. Not based on any of our work of what Christ did on the cross. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if, And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, our source of cleansing is Jesus. Amen. Is Jesus. 
Paul rested in Christ's righteousness, not his own righteousness of the law. Self-righteousness is a smokescreen that Satan uses to, to deceive us. Right? You know, again, I kind of talked about this earlier, about the world tells, what, what the world tells us, right? You know, I'm the most important thing. You need this. It's all about you. But the Bible teaches us differently. We're not to think that my works and good deeds are able to replace the bad deeds I do or that by setting the one over against the other, I can come to balance, uh, balancing accounts with God. No, in, in the Christian life or in, in our life, just because we do good works and bad works, they don't, they don't balance each other out. Because guess what? Well, first of all, the bad works will always outbalance our good works all the time. But then the Bible says also that our our, our good works are what? And in Isaiah 64, 6, But we are all as unclean things, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do fade as a leaf, and our iniquity, like the wind, have taken us away. The reality is those good works we, we think we're doing, they're still as filthy rags. They're still as filthy rags, because again it says, And all our righteousnesses as filthy rags. You'll never outweigh the bad. But Jesus did. And all you have to do is accept him as your personal savior and he cleanses that bad. And he forgives that bad. And he's the, the scale that we need in our life. He's, 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 again, who deems us innocent. Again, Paul realized that he, has to, he had to rest on Christ's righteousness and not his own righteousness. In order to gain true righteousness, we must ask for forgiveness for our sins and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Have you made that decision today? Because it is so important in your life that you make that decision. That is the number one decision to make in your life, that you have a personal relationship with Christ, that you accept him as your personal Savior. He died for you. Because he loves you. Not only did Paul want to be found in Christ, Paul also wanted to know the power of the resurrection in his life. He wanted to know the power of the resurrection in his life. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I, that I may know him refers to uh, saying by faith or to believe in him. The apostle Paul, the apostle Paul did know Christ. He, accept, he, accepted, he accepted him as his personal savior many years before, but he wanted to know more. He couldn't get enough of Christ. He couldn't get enough. John Gill put it this way. He says, But his knowledge of Christ, Paul's knowledge, thought it was very great. Though it was very great, it was imperfect. He knew but in part, and therefore desired to know more of Christ, of the mysteries and glories of his person, of the unsearchable riches of his grace, of his great salvation and the benefits of it, of his love which passes perfect knowledge and to have a renewed and enlarged experience of communion with him. Paul wanted to know more about Christ. He couldn't get enough of Christ. And it's important in our life that we take to Paul's example of knowing more spending more time in God's word, spending more time in church and being fed, it's important that we, we, we make a goal of our life to know more about Christ. 
Paul wanted to know more and more of Christ, and that should be our desire no matter our age. We should be dedicated to knowing and growing in Christ, just like Paul. I have this illustration from uh, this celloist. Uh, Pablo Casals was considered the greatest cellist to ever live. When he was 95 years old, he was asked why he continued to practice six hours a day. He answered, because I think I'm making progress. Because I think I'm making progress. Isn't that so true in the Christian life? That as we, as we study God's word and, and delve into God's word, as we, as we are always learning new things, we say to us, I, I think I'm making progress, right? Because there's just so much to learn in God's word. And that should be our desire as Christians, to just know more and more of Christ. The same, again, Pablo, the same dedication that Pablo put into learning his instrument, we should put the same dedication into knowing Christ. The same div- divine power displayed at the resurrection would enable Paul to leave behind his old life, the old deeds, desires, and attitudes of the flesh. The Apostle Paul was, was Matthew Henry said this, the Apostle Paul was, an ambitious, was as ambitious of being sanctified as he was being justified. He was as desirous to know the power of Christ's death and resurrection and resurrection killing sin in him and raised him up to newness of life. As he was to receive the benefit of Christ's death, uh, as he was to receive the benefit of Christ's death and resurrection in his, in his justification. Paul wanted to walk in newness of life. He wanted to have victory over sin in his life. Let's go to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Because this ties very well into what, what Paul says here, again, about getting the power of the resurrection in his life. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. I'm, and I'm going to read these. Then shall we say, or what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin, that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we, that we are dead to sin, live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized in Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if he be dead with Christ, we believe that, that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed, indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness 
unto God. Paul wanted to walk in newness of life. He wanted to have victory over sin in his life. And us as Christians, that should be our goal. We want to have victory over sin in our lives. Not only, again, he also, Paul wanted to participate in Christ's suffering for righteousness. He, Paul wanted to participate in Christ's suffering for righteousness, suffering for righteousness. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Paul did not mean Christ's physical suffering on the cross. We cannot add to the atoning work of Christ. So that's not what Paul was saying uh, here in this passage, passage. But consider what Christ endured in obedience to God's plan. He was ridiculed. He was falsely accused. He was misunderstood. He was spat on. He was hit. He was beaten. And now to the cross for us, wasn't he? Those that follow Christ can expect similar treatment. When when we look at what Christ experienced, those that follow Christ can expect similar treatment. In John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, Jesus said, If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world... But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. When we live like we're supposed to as Christians, the world doesn't like it. The world doesn't like it. Does the world like devout Christians? No, it does not. No, it does not. You know, and this is, we're actually going through Philippians with our teens and we're talking about the importance of, again, living like Christ. Living like Christ. And it's important that we in our Christian life, we take Christ's example in our life and that's how we live. He should be the example in our life. But it is so important that again, that we give up ourselves. That we live devoted devoted to Christ. Paul wanted to be dedicate, a dedicated follower, one who willing, willingly suffered for the name of Christ. Paul wanted to be like Christ even in death. Paul knew to live for the Lord, he had to die to selfish interests and desires. Paul was willing, again, to fully dedicate and give his life for Christ. Even if Paul had to face physical death, he was able to look past his life to the resurrection to the resurrection in the next. Whether through death or through the return of Christ at the rapture, the final resurrection was Paul's goal. I really like how Paul talks about this later in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, For our conversation is in heaven from, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul realized again that his citizenship is not in this world. He realized that his citizenship is in heaven. And if you have a relationship with Christ, or if you know Christ as your personal Savior, your citizenship is not here. It's in heaven. So it's important in our life that we live like it. That's what Paul was telling us, that we need to live like our citizenship is in heaven. We have to be willing to suffer for Christ. 
because he suffered for you. We didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it one bit. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul realized that his life on this earth, he's living and needs to live for Christ and his rewards in heaven. For him to die, that's a reward because guess what? He gets to spend eternity with Christ. He doesn't have to experience any more pain or suffering. Because he gets to be with the Savior. That's where the gain is. The gain is not in this world. And we as Christians, that's how we have to live. That the gain that we experience is in heaven. And everything we do for ourselves is worthless. Is lost. Is dung. As Paul says. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Paul was focused on his heavenly citizenship rather than his earthly citizenship. He knew that was what truly mattered. Many of us may not experience death because of our relationship with Christ, but we may strive to have the same, but we must strive to have the same mindset as Paul. You know, we live in a country where we don't experience, you know, death for believing in Christ for the most part. In the world, there are people experiencing death for their relationship with Christ. But not necessarily in America, but America is not too far from the whole world. And you've got to ask yourself, how committed are you going to be to your relationship with Christ? Because eventually the suffering that we see around the world, it's going to come to America. And it's coming quick. You know, as pastors talking about revelations, right? We're seeing more and more signs of Christ's return, right? It's so important that we as Christians today more than ever, are living devout lives for Christ. That we're willing to suffer for Christ. We as believers need to reject self-righteousness and need to gain real righteousness, trusting only in the righteousness of Christ for salvation. We need to understand the value of living in Christ. We can aim to live righteously through His power while waiting for our final resurrection. In conclusion, Paul is an incredible example for our lives. He understood that he had to die to self in order to experience true righteousness. In order for us to experience true righteousness, we have to give up self. We have to give up the focuses and the distractions of this world, and we need to focus on Christ. If you are not saved today, you have to die to self and realize that you are a sinner that is guilty before God and that you have a Savior that died for you. You have a Savior that that paid that debt for you and he wants you to be saved. He wants you to accept him as your personal Savior. He loved you so much, he died on the cross for you. So if you're not saved today, That's the first step of receiving real righteousness in your life is to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and have your sins forgiven. Paul also realized the importance of seeking to live a righteous life according to God's word. He knew that this world was not his home. His home was heaven and he was going to live for his true home, heaven. Paul was willing to fully give his life for Christ. Are you willing to give your life? fully to Christ 
Are you willing? There have been things, have there been things in your life keeping you from fully committing your life? You know, and pastors mentioned this before, just because you're 50, just because you're 40, just because you're 60, doesn't mean God won't call you into full-time service for him. And it's so important in your life to, to, to realize that you're never going to regret saying, Lord, you're calling me, and I'm going to answer that call. It's a full-time devotion to him. You'll never regret it. Yes, you have hard days. You'll have difficult days, just like anybody else. But you'll never regret serving him with your life. So if God's calling you to service, don't reject it. Follow it. And maybe he's not calling you to full-time ministry. But he is calling you to be a full-time Christian. In our Christian life, we're called to live fully devoted to him. We're not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. So Christian, are we living fully for him? I'm going to finish off with this quote from from, um, George Mueller. It says, when a man asked George Mueller the secret of his service, Mueller responded this way. There was, day when, there was a day when I died, utterly died, died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval and censure. Died to the approval or blame, or blame even of my brethren and friends. And since then, I've studied to show myself approved unto God. It's time to give up self-righteousness and gain real righteousness by living fully committed to Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for everything you do for us, Lord. Thank you so much for this reminder from your word, the importance of giving you us, giving our all to you, Lord. I pray that we would, again, give our all to you, that we would be fully committed to, to serving you no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing. It doesn't matter if we're shopping. It doesn't matter if we're at work. It doesn't matter what we're doing. Lord, I pray that we would be fully committed to serving you, that we would, we would give up ourself and give all to you. As we stand up and as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, and as the instruments play, you know, have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior today?